Welcome to the Modern Classrooms Project podcast with Kareem Farah, Tony Rose Deannon, Kate Gaskell, and me, Zach Diamond. Each week, we bring you discussions with educators on how they use blended, self-paced, and mastery-based learning to better serve their students. We believe teachers learn best from each other, so this is our way of lifting up the voices of leaders and innovators in our community. This is the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 53. How exciting. Uh, my name is Tony Rose Deannon, and I am a program manager for Modern Classroom, a former middle school English teacher. Uh, so I was I implemented the model and an instructional coach. So I am joined today by Emily Dia. So funnily enough, Emily was one of my mentees, and I just absolutely loved working with her. Um, and so it was such a nice surprise to be able to work with her full time with Modern Classroom. So hi, Emily. How are you? Hi, Tony Rose. I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Um, and hey, everybody. <laughs> I can tell you a little bit about myself. Um, I was a teacher for 19 years, and I taught kindergarten for a terrifying two years. And then I moved to fifth grade for seven years. And then I was a seventh and eighth graders doing language arts work for about eight years. Uh, maybe nine. I lost track somewhere in there. Um, and I was also an instructional coach supporting teachers as well. Um, I started implementing the model about 18 months ago, and it was so incredibly transformative for me and my students uh, that I was like, I got to try to get in on this. <laughs> and so uh, now I'm a partnerships manager here at the Modern Classrooms Project. I'm so happy to be here with y'all. Yes, and we are so stoked to have you. Um, also, you taught kindergarten for two years. That- <laughs> yes, it was really hard. I was like, all the love for the kindergarten primary teachers. It is so hard. It is so hard. They are genius humans who work with those smaller genius humans. So, oh my gosh. Yes. Kudos to our elementary early yes. teachers because that yes. would not be me either. Um, <laughs> wow. That was really interesting. I did not know that about you. Today, we're going to talk about Unit Zero, um, where basically I'll give you planning strategies and how Unit Zero could look like. And then we're going to shift gears and Emily will talk about what a day in the life of modern classroom teacher looks like for her. Let's get started. Yes, let's do it. I actually have a question for you to start. Um, In your head, when you were using the model in your classroom, Tony Rose, what was the purpose of the Unit Zero? So I think Unit Zero, it was it was wild to think that I never had a unit zero to begin with prior to modern classroom. And it was just a way to introduce my classroom, right? Introduce what we're we're reading, what we're writing, what we're doing essentially in class. So when my colleague, um, another Emily and I were thinking about unit zero, we wanted to really look at our school calendar because, you know, all the stuff that's happening in the beginning of the school year, there's a lot of interruption. So we wanted to make sure that we weren't diving into anything too deep yet into our content because of all the interruptions. Um, And so we wanted to create something that um, we basically just talk about what English is going to look like, what are the books that we're reading, um, what the skills, the skills that the students will need for this school year, the skills that they learned last year. Um, and mind you, I taught middle school English. And so this was, this, these, you know, this was students who were transitioning from elementary school to middle school, sixth graders. And so we wanted to make sure that we introduced the model in a way that they could access it, right? Like, so basically, like, we talked about, we introduced the model by doing the model. So the students were essentially 
watching instructional videos, um, practicing transferring those skills into some tasks that we had, the must do, should do, and then of course having the mastery check to be able to move forward. Um, another thing that like my colleague and I, Emily, were also talking about was, you know, we wanted our students to fail gracefully. And so we wanted to have this unit zero be the time for, for students to fail in this new model. And of course, our students are going to fail because this is such a new model and there's nothing wrong with failing at all. And I and I, we wanted to create that space and that community where it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to fail because you're going to have the time to revise it. Um, and so our unit zero actually lasted four weeks. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And so a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, it's so long. What did you do for four weeks? Right. So like the first week was literally just like getting to know you. And we did all of that using the model. Um, and so getting to know you activities. And then the second week we talked about the four box notes that we were going to be using throughout the school year. We read a nonfiction text. We read a, um, a fictional text. And so it's just kind of a way for students to just start seeing how English was going to work out. And it, you know, worked out really well with all of the interruptions that we had. And so by the time the four weeks was done, um, students were ready with the model. They kind of understand how it was going to go. They knew the pacing tracker. Um, It was great for their families to see what they were doing. All the questions were um, answered. And then for unit one to get started, they were ready. You know, they're like, oh, I know that if I didn't get, if I didn't master the first time, that's okay. Like I can have the time to redo it again. So just shifting that mindset um, and also telling my students, you know, like as far as grades are concerned, like I really want you to focus on growth. I want you to focus on revising and I want you to focus on how you've grown as a learner as opposed to asking me, Ms. D, what's my grade for this one? And so that was a hard shift for students in the beginning of the school year. It was a hard shift for me as well. Um, But I really, really, really wanted us to practice, practice, practice before we jumped into unit one. When teachers are, you know, thinking about this, your unit one could literally just be one to two lessons. I've talked to some teachers who only did one to two lessons, and that's okay. And that's just a way for them to introduce the model. Um, and then they just like jump right into it. Our students are so adaptable, right? Like they're able to just like adapt to whatever change we throw at them. Um, and so you could literally have just two lessons introducing the model and introducing your class and then go on to your content, which is fine. Or you could do four weeks like we did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Draw it out, right? Um, but also making sure that our tasks were meaningful um, and it's not just like busy work because it was the beginning of the school year. Right. That makes so much sense. What I love about that is it takes off like most kids, and I did as a student, dreaded the first weeks of school because it was just a lot of teachers talking at me. And I didn't hardly ever remember what they were telling me, like all those routines and procedures and expectations. (laughs) And this way, it was a way that y'all framed it so that they were really engaging in that content and co-creating it, it sounds like in some ways. So it's really beautiful. I love that idea. Yeah. And another thing too, like if you haven't joined our Facebook group, I think everyone should join the Facebook group because Teachers there are just sharing all of their resources, right? We had one teacher, Marissa Bongo. Shout out to you. Thank you. Thank you so much. She uploaded her video in the Facebook group of her um, just kind of introducing her classroom setup and and teaching students like where things go and how it's going to look like in the physical space. And um, and she put that in her unit zero, which I thought, oh my gosh, this is brilliant, <laughs> right? So it's like something students could like go back to and be like, oh, this is where the mastery checks happen, or this is where whatever else happens. And I just thought that that was 
so brilliant um, because typically when I introduce my space, right, it's more like a scavenger hunt where students kind of like figure out where different things are in the classroom. But I think having a video of it is really good too because then I could literally show that to my mom or dad or parent at home, right? Be like, hey, this is my classroom. Like, this is how we function in our class. And and I just thought that that was such a great idea. And so I was talking to um, Marissa, actually. And, you know, she was just saying, like, she was, she was going down a rabbit hole when planning for Unit Zero, which we kind of all do, because you really want to be intentional with what you want to go over, right? Like, it's not, it's got to be something really important, the must do's, right? And so she went down a rabbit hole. And then she said, she finally started planning it out. And it just all started making sense. So again, I think the process is just kind of messy in the beginning, because you just have so many great ideas. But then you kind of have to like tone it down and figure out what are the must do's? What are the should do's? And what are the aspire to do's? And I just really love that she was able to just it's just a quick, like, it's just a quick video of her classroom. And I was like, oh, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> it's genius. So good. And I love the idea of being able to re-reference it. And also as a way to build autonomy for our students, right? As they're still, most of them developing executive functioning skills. If they've forgotten that process or routine, you can just say, hey, go back and watch that video. It's in the unit zero. Come back if you still have a question. Or go watch that with a friend or whatever. I love that. That's really, shout out Marissa. I know. So, so, so cool. It sounds like Tony Rose, both you and Marissa are thinking about like the content of Unit Zero as introducing not only um, the routines and the elements of the model, but also sort of the idea that doing a blended learning unit is going to give you a lot of feedback around your learning. So it's almost like an opportunity for students to unlearn that idea of grades as arbitrary and to relearn the idea of grades as communication or feedback as communication. So since we are designing units that are mastery-based or standards-based, whatever you'd like to call it, um, this is a good way for them to get used to that shift before they get into content in the course. Most definitely. Um, And I think it's just, you know, teachers are getting really creative with their unit zeros as well. It doesn't just be like a certain way. Um, and so, you know, something too that I think you and I have been talking about too is like, you know, zero is a great way to start communicating with families, right? Being able to just kind of share this model, because again, this model is so new um, that it's kind of scary for a lot of people, right? There's going to be a lot of questions as to how it's supposed to look like or how it's supposed to sound like and misconceptions about like students being on computers all day when that's not really the case. And I'm like super excited to hear about how your day, your your structured day looks like, right? And because it's so many different ways to do it. But I think with Unit Zero, it's a great way to introduce the model, just kind of talk about your classroom, the classroom procedures in a different way, in a more engaging way. Um, and then also just like being able to share that with other stakeholders and not just your students. Totally. Um, when I implemented the model, I actually just did one lesson as my unit zero. I didn't even think of it as unit zero, but it was an overview video, um, sort of of a walkthrough of our Google Classroom and notes about our classroom space. And I uploaded that to Edpuzzle and the students did that as sort of their introduction to this new way of learning. And I also emphasized in that video that, that this switch to blended learning was uh, primarily meant to free me up to be a better teacher for them so that, you know, I'm not replacing myself with the computer. I'm actually like enhancing myself because of the computer and the lessons that they would be experiencing online, which would just create more space for us to be together, learning together throughout the year. 
and being able to get them what they needed. We also talked about that feeling that we've all had. And a lot of us have talked about this, like when you're in a class and it's going too slow or you're in a class and it's going way too fast and you just sort of stop because you, it's too much and you can't keep up. Um, just about like this choice, this is a choice we're making of how we're going to learn together so that we can honor the unique pace that we all learn at and all find success in, in that in that way. So that's how I sort of framed it using that overview Edpuzzle video. And then I presented a similar um, chat to the parents at back to school night, just using a, um, a deck, you know, just a PowerPoint presentation, just reiterating those same things. This is actually, I showed the video. This is the video I showed to your students. And this is why um, we're doing learning this way this year. And I actually did every other unit in the modern classrooms model or blended way, which was really great for me and my students. I felt like a doable, a doable amount of units to do um, throughout the year. Gosh, Emily, that was so beautiful. I feel like <laughs> it was such a great way for you to be able to share. Like, this is not to replace me, but to enhance my teaching. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, we always talk, I know Kareem always talks about like being able to replicate yourself and just making sure that students are able to access the information you're providing um, at all times, which I love, love, love. So I think just being able to communicate that with your um, students as well as the families and stakeholders, right, of like, no, this is how we're learning and this is why we're learning this way. So then, you know, to make them feel a little bit better of like, no, it's not just watching videos all day. It's actually a lot more than that. Yeah. It's like personalized instruction. You know, really it is. I can, I told the parents, like, this allows me to be such an individualized teacher for your particular child. You know, that differentiation actually happens. Whereas honestly, for 17 years before I started doing the model, I was saying I was differentiating, but I wasn't really doing it, to be honest. And so this was just so transformative for me in that way. I feel like my students made just incredible progress. And I would also say that um, sharing the data that you know, uh, about our model and our, our outcomes and our impacts that, you know, through the Johns Hopkins data and other things that we have to offer um, about our impact as a model was really great to share with parents too. That really let them say like, oh, this is a research-backed strategy that she is using, um, a research-backed model that she is implementing. So that felt good for my administration also to um, encourage me to keep going with it. Yeah, that's that's also a good idea to just have that research, right? So people who question it will be able to look at that data and can't argue with data sometimes, you know. But I like your idea with, you you know, you were like, I didn't even think it was unit zero. It was just an overview. I love that. So, you know, if people just want to do an overview video, I think that's also great. But just being able to present it in a way where students uh, can make sense of it and also just like our families can make sense of it, right? We'll definitely be putting in the show notes some um, some resources that, you know, that people can use so that they can start planning their unit zero and hopefully have like the resources to be able to communicate with the stakeholders, with families at home of how it's going to look like. Um, and then I'll also be able to like um, link uh, my calendar for unit zero of the four weeks or because I'm sure people are like, how, what do you talk about for four weeks? <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so I will link that in the show notes as well, just so that people can see and have like a visual representation of what I'm talking about and why uh, we decided to go for four weeks of unit zero. Um, and so, yeah, I, you know, Emily, I, gosh, that was so good. I really enjoyed like just listening to you. And so I guess like, 
let's start talking about this, right? Like when you first started rolling out MCP, the overview video sounded amazing. And the way that you communicated with your students and your families also sound just like really great. Um, What did you include? What else did you include for your students and your families? I mean, I really just tried to anchor the units and the decision in skills. So I helped them to think about or hopefully to understand this idea that our blended learning units are really an opportunity for us to get really good information about our skills and language arts, reading or writing, whatever the unit um, was about. And that our goal was to just make progress on our efficiency or proficiency or mastery of those skills over time. So it wasn't like they were going for a, uh, a grade in each of those skills. Our units were really about learning individual skills that would lead up to a summative experience. So in my classroom, our mastery checks at the end of each lesson were like formative assessments that were teaching them the skills that they would need to apply and synthesize for the summative assessment. So an example would be they had a unit on literary essay. And so every lesson was a tiny, little, tiny, tiny skill that would allow them to write an effective literary essay in the very end. So one, you know, they would submit a lead and they would have to, they would study what the effective um, qualities of a lead are. And then they would do some practice around that. And then they would submit a draft of a lead that they would get feedback on from me. And then they would know, okay, I got to revise this lead that I just got feedback on for my final essay, or this is good to go. And I can just tuck that away until I'm ready to do my final piece. So that was like one way that we thought about the purpose of the unit and how the lessons were like leading into this final summative experience. Yeah, it's a good way to just like chunk a much bigger assignment, right? It's easier for us as teachers to provide feedback when assignments are chunked that way. Oh my gosh, totally. Plus, you know, reading, writing, like student writing takes forever, you know, and I don't, I don't know how, like I've, you know, I did it for 20 years basically, and I just never got faster at it. But what I did when I started using the model was I actually read everything that every kid wrote for the first time ever. And then their final pieces were so much stronger because they had had such specific feedback along the way. So that was, that was really amazing for me and for them, I hope. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I completely agree. I know in previous episodes, I was talking about how we would have essays and then those essays would sit on my desk or in my computer for two weeks before I'm like, you know what, fine, it's a Friday night, I'll grade. (laughs) Right, totally. But then they're not even like applying that feedback because it's been so long since they submitted it. It's like out of their mind. So and so it's a waste of everybody's time. (laughs) So yeah, no, game changer. I mean, and it, you know, and it didn't, and we didn't give them time either to revise. It was like, here you go, revise on your own time, <laughs> LOL. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So no, that those are all, that's really good. I mean, I always tell my mentees when I work with other teachers is that, you know, chunk your assignments, the larger assignments, definitely chunk them so that you can actually say like, you know what your students are writing because like you, right? Like I just skimmed through and um, I'm just kind of like, okay, well, this was good. Right, right. <laughs> I guess it was great. The gist of it was pretty good. And, um, but now it's definitely a lot more intentional with this model. Um, and another thing too that you and I were talking about, like when you first started um, rolling out this model is that, you know, we talk about practicing with low stakes assignments, right? And so with me, that was where like the getting to know you activities come in where 
in English, really in real life, people make inferences all the time, right? And so um, when it came to my students, I gave them like a selfie of myself, like a really intentional selfie. And then I'm like, okay, what can you infer about this image? Because we're always making inferences. And then, of course, we had a conversation about inferences versus assumptions. And so it was just a really interesting conversation and interesting task for them. Instead of me talking at them about who I am as a person, right, they kind of had to make an inference, which is an educated guess based on this selfie. Like, where was I? What was I doing? What was I wearing? Um, What do you think I like based on this picture? Which my students like absolutely ate it up. And then we were able to then analyze other photos. And this is where I kind of like chose the photos that kind of went viral um, with everything that was happening in the world. And so students were then you know, had those conversations of like, oh, like, this is what's happening in our world. And they're able to analyze and inf- and make inferences from the picture. So even if they didn't know what the picture was about, there was still some background knowledge. Um, and then just having those conversations. Um, what are some low stakes assignments that you did with your students in the beginning? Yeah, uh, we did a little bit. I did like a a little mini unit on navigating Google Classroom, like how the stream, well, I didn't really use the stream because it gets so cluttered, but how the classwork section uh, was organized by topics, how uh, we practice like going through the different components in a lesson post, like clicking on the Edpuzzle video and then going back to do the practice and then going back to that same classroom post to do the mastery check. Um, so we did some of that stuff. I actually also did my first four weeks of school, like my first official unit, which was done using the model, was about reading notebook work. And so for those non-language arts people, uh, reading notebook is just really informal writing about reading. And I've always believed in its very, very important value for students, but I've also like pushed back against the like required writing about your reading in a very formal way because... Um, It just feels not authentic to real world for me. So anyway, we practiced just writing about reading. I offered them little tiny micro lessons. I would call them about ways you could respond to reading as a reader visually, you know, like poetically writing a little bit, um, drawing little things. And then they basically created um, entries in their journals and then took pictures of those and uploaded them to their assignments for mastery checks. So it was just like a sharing. It wasn't even really like graded. It was just very like, I completed this. I tried this strategy. And then by the time those weeks were over, they figured out the best way for them to respond to their reading. And of course I had expectations, right? Like in your reading responses, I want to hear like at least a couple pieces of evidence, you know, that shows that you actually read the book. And I want to really understand how you felt about what you read or what the most important part was or you know, there were some anchor skills that I was targeting and that they were expected to do. But that investigative low stakes time allowed them to figure out the formats that felt best for them. So that was an assignment that carried out throughout the year, they had to submit it um, once a month. So that was a good way to prep that that um, routine of writing about reading. Yeah, I I really like that, especially, you know, when you're introducing the model. And so I guess like just to kind of wrap up, right, with unit zero, you can include basically an introduction to the model. You can include some skills that you're going to be covering in class, the anchor skills um, for that year. And then even just reviewing skills that they learned previous year would be a good one. Um, You could include like tech skills. So navigating your LMS, you know, teach students how to navigate um, throughout the LMS and to be able to access and the different 
steps to how to access the lessons. Um, and then, of course, you can have your video of creating um, your video of your classroom um, and just like, you know, getting the students to be ready and prepared for your class using the model. Yeah. One thing I would add to that just hit my brain is like some fun community building, like play some games, you know, play games that aren't related to your content area. Just play some games together. Yeah. Just, you know, just some community building, like silly, fun things to get that vibe the way you would hope it to be in your classroom community. Yeah. And I, you know, I always forget that too, Emily. I'm just like, oh yeah, <laughs> um, you know, playing games. One thing that I did with my students in the beginning of the school year too is um, there's a short story written by David Sedars called Big Boy. And it's all about poop, finding poop. <laughs> so with sixth graders, like, oh my gosh, the kids loved it. They loved so it. I'm sure. We like talked about, you know, how would you react if you found poop in the toilet? And like, <laughs> We started making inferences. We started analyzing the text, but it was also such an informal conversation between the students and really getting to know what are the reactions, right? Um, and like even the last day of school, the students would be like, Miss D, that was like my favorite thing that we read all year. Oh, funny. That's amazing. <laughs> um, so it was still like a way to get to know kids, right? And it was just, yes. we were just reading this really funny, engaging piece of text. Um, and so your unit zero can literally look like how you want it to look like. There is no right or wrong way to do it as long as you just kind of introduce the model and how your classes are going to go. Um, Emily, let's shift gears, right? So I'm really interested in the experiences that you've had. And I know that we talked about your um, typical day, right? Yeah. And can you just walk us through that? Tell us more. Yeah, I will. I'd love to share what a day in a life looked like for me. What I would also want to like preface this with is that the modern classrooms project model is so customizable like there is no one way to do it nor is there a wrong way to do it and so I felt a lot of encouragement from you as my mentor to figure out how to make this model work for me and my kiddos so here's an example in my typical day in the language arts classroom I saw my students three days a week and I actually had them for 80 minutes those three days which was a luxury as a language arts teacher so they would come in, um, to, they would come to class and our routine was always to have 10 minutes of reading time. Um, I really leveraged that Adams study that talked about, you know, if kids add 10 minutes of reading time to their day, by the end of a year, they'll have learned a, a million, I think it was like some crazy number, like 10 more, yeah, a million more words <laughs> by adding 10 minutes a day. Yeah. So it's like this incredible, and I'll link in the show notes, this summary of this article and some other information about daily reading. But anyway, that was really important to me and something that I didn't want to lose by implementing um, implementing a blended learning structure in my classroom, um, in the modern classroom structure. So anyway, they would come in, get right to reading. And not everybody was like super jazzed about reading, but they could read anything they wanted. They could bring in a newspaper, a magazine, or a comic book, or a novel, whatever. And of course, I would have texts and other materials in the classroom they could pick from. So everybody would get to reading. And while they were reading, I would pop around my clipboard. And I would just get the page number that they were on. About five years ago, I just decided I'm not going to do reading logs anymore. It feels very inauthentic to me. Um, and it also felt like extra work for students that wasn't really helping them grow. I wasn't able to figure out a routine that was like making time for them to study that data that like made it worth their while to keep the data. So I just kept the data. And um, that became like a power standard in my on my report card, which was 
maintains an independent reading life. So I just kept track of that. And I would you know, come around, get their page number, watch where they were and sort of track that over time on my own. That also let me have a few minutes to check in with a few kids, like just personally, like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> How are you doing today? Um, before the vibe of the class like got really going in terms of work time. Um, and then also it would give me time to prep a kid, like if I needed a kid to do something specific during unit work time that they were not expecting, I could use that 10 minutes to just give them a heads up um, before we started that. So that was my warm up. It's 10 minutes every day. It's such a, it's such a good routine for us. And then we had some kind of shared writing or grammar experience. Um, and our shared writing was typically like a quick write. We would, we would watch usually a visual text or read a poem or something really, really short. And then we would write about it. Everybody would write for about three or four minutes. And then we would try to revise our writing. So we would learn like a little mini strategy about revision. Um, sometimes we had time to share that writing if people were feeling brave. Always, you know, an invitation to, never required. But that was our shared writing experience. And if we weren't doing shared writing, we would do some sort of small grammar inquiry or discussion. So we had every day we had two shared experiences. Like every day we all read together and every day we did something with writing together. So that took about 15 minutes. And then the rest of the class after warmups and that shared experience of writing um, was what I would call unit work time is what I called it. And it was usually like 30 minutes. I taught eighth grade. And so so most of them at the beginning of the year, I would say my goal was 20 minutes of like really focused work time. By the end, they could do 45. Like they were just crushing wow. it. Yeah, they were crushing it. I had, <laughs> they was amazing. But anyway, we would have unit work time. And how that would look is that I would display the public facing tracker, which um, I know you and I have talked about, like, I had so much angst about the public facing tracker before I started doing the model. I was just worried that it would be like, I don't know, like a shame tool or comparison in a bad way for students. But um, I received coaching from you and others around just framing it as an invitation for collaboration and learning together. And it doesn't really matter, like, if you're above pace or ahead of pace or behind pace, it's really about your growth throughout the unit. And we all have the same end date and goal, but we're all going to get there at our own pace. So I would display the public facing tracker. Everybody would sort of look at it, see where they were. They would say, oh, hey, Miss Dia, you made a mistake on that. And I'd be like, yep, I did. Let me change that. So we'd kind of get all straight. <laughs> Happened a lot. And then um, once we all had a plan, I would say, okay, tell your table mates what your goal is for your work time today. And they would do that really quick, like a quick turn and talk. And then I'd say, all right, let's get to it. And my routine as a teacher was I would take five minutes just to like not talk to anyone and just watch from my instructional desk and, and just like watch everyone settle in. Um, that could look like kids who were on the same lesson meeting together to work on that lesson. And I had this area in my classroom that was um, little dots on the floor that they could gather at. It was during COVID, so they were socially distanced. And we also were able to use our hallway right outside of the classroom for that. So it could be that. It could be them just going into their own independent work. Or it could be um, them, you know, coming to the instructional desk to get a supply that they needed of some kind. So I would kind of let that settle for about five minutes. And then I would look at the pacing tracker like the, well, I used, and I know you love it too, the auto-populating pacing tracker because I just had my grade book and then the student-facing public trackers right there all together. It was like a game changer. So I would look at my grade book there on the tracker and see kind of, uh, I would always check in with the kids who were slightly behind pace, see what I could do for them. 
And sometimes that looks like me just going and like sitting beside them and working beside them for a few minutes to get them going. And sometimes that was a, a, another reteach. Um, and then sometimes it was like a, Hey, what can I do to help you? You know, more conversation. Seems like something bigger is going on with you. seems like you're having trouble starting. What can I do? What's going on? So then um, once I kind of got those kids going, then I would just take inventory, bebop around, see what everybody was doing. And if everyone was really self-directed, I would use that time to look at their work and give feedback. I think that one of the most sad things about being a teacher is that somehow along the way, we think and learn that you can't grade student work or respond to student work or give feedback to students during class. <laughs> like somewhere in our brain, right? We learned like, oh, you got to do that at night or you got to do it over the weekend. Um, and that's what for me was like so transformational about this model was that I had nights and weekends again. Like I could look at their work in class and we know that the research says the faster I can give them feedback on their work, the more likely they are going to revise and relearn and actually remember that, you know, they're going to use that feedback to change their brain. And so anyway, that was a win-win. So I would a lot, I would spend probably about half of the unit work time looking at student work and giving feedback on student work and then, you know, be buffing around. One strategy I just, I learned at the end of the year that I wish I had done earlier was I had a whiteboard in my classroom. And I just had a, I just a, a, a title that said, need a conference today or want to confer. And then kids during that five minutes of settling in, if they really wanted to have an individual conversation with me, they just put their name up on the board. Um, and that was really helpful to sometimes to give me direction during that, that unit work time. And then after that unit work time was over, the, you know, however long it lasted, usually around 35 minutes or so, um, we would have a debrief as a class. And that usually looked like an exit ticket of some kind uh, that was verbal or a quick written ticket, like how did the day go? And uh, could you summarize your learning? So I love summary strategies just for kids to reflect on their day um, and what they did during that day. So I love the question, what was the most important thing you learned today? What was the most important thing you did today? Um, I love the, I used to think blank, but now I think blank. You know, um, I love those kinds of reflection questions. So we would... Usually do that um, as a like table share. And sometimes I'd have them write it on a card and turn it in. And sometimes I would just have them line up at the door. And as they were leaving, just tell me verbally a little reflection about the day, a little debrief about the day. And sometimes we would do like a, you know, thumbs up, thumbs middle, thumbs down, like how the day feel. So it kind of depended on our time. But I would always try to have some sort of debrief moment that we came back together. And then, of course, just charging them with the reminders about, you know, upcoming due dates and goals for finishing their unit work and um, where we were in terms of our path to that summative experience for the unit. So that was, that was our rhythm. And, you know, it was beautiful. <laughs> it was just really worked well for us. I am literally at awe, Emily, because I feel like I want to go back in the classroom now. <laughs> so many new things that I did. Now, um, mind you, I I saw my students every day, 50 minutes a day. So we had a shorter amount of time. And I remember Kareem like coming in and just telling me to cut off so many different things because my students didn't have the time to actually work on the lessons. Yes, yes, definitely. I mean, I would say that is a huge takeaway. Like, 
the majority of your class period, however long you have, needs to be that unit work time. Yeah. Because if not, they're not going to be able to make progress in the unit and you're not going to be able to give them that feedback. So I think that was huge. Yeah, I would totally agree with him. Um, and that was my thing when I first started implementing the model was that I still wanted to talk because it's what, you know, it's what we're programmed to do. And then especially English teachers, right? Like I have so many stories that I want to share with my students. Um, and it's it's really interesting too that you said um, that we were just programmed to give feedback and to grade things outside of the classroom. Um, and I know that when I implemented this model, that was like my favorite piece was that I was actually able to read what my students are writing um, and have those conversations to kind of gauge their understanding. And I don't have to wait until the next day or the next week to like have that conversation, right? right. To catch their misconceptions and the challenges. Um, and it, I, I just the model itself just like liberated me from being in front of the classroom the entire time and being like this gatekeeper of knowledge, which I not, should not have been. Um, and so it's just really it's it's really nice. And so I think some of the things that um, when new teachers were implementing this model, you know, a couple of the concerns are how do we manage the workload? Because it does seem like there's a lot. How did you do that when you first started out? Yeah, well, my goal was that I was going to implement one unit using the modern classrooms model. <laughs> so that was my goal. And I think I would tell teachers that like, make a goal. Maybe your goal is to implement for a week. If that feels reasonable to you, maybe your goal is to implement for a whole unit, but, but try to implement in a way that feels doable for you. Um, and don't be afraid to tweak it along the way. So my goal was to do my first unit around the reading notebook. And I was just going to see how it went. And it went so well that I was like, Ooh, okay. Um, it was a little like heavy on the workload, but I decided that's when I decided to do every other unit because I could do like what I had done in the past in my second unit, already had that stuff made. And then it allowed me time to, to build the third unit in a blended way um, during my you know planning times. And I did have to do a couple of weekends and stuff. But the brilliant thing is that now those units are built and um, our department is still using that content, you know, now that it's, it's done. So, so that was, that would be probably my piece of advice, like to figure out, the amount of implementation, which kind of sounds weird. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know how to articulate that well, but just to figure out a goal for implementation that is reasonable for you and that will make you and your students feel successful. I mean, I really like what you said, right? If you, you know, you're like, okay, do a time limit even, like do it for a week, see what works because mm -hmm. um, you'll be able to tweak it every single day. I mean, that's definitely what I did with my practice with um, with um, implementing Modern Classroom is like, oh, this worked out really well, this didn't work out. Um, and I know when I first started out with the model, there was a lot of bottlenecking, right? Like of students just like raising hands and like, oh, I'm done with the mastery check. And like, it was a lot of interruptions and I felt like I was running around, right? And I'm just like, what is happening? This is too much. Um, but then the more that we did it, you know, the more changes you'll be able to implement. And then of course, having that conversation with students too, because this is their learning environment, right? Like I'm also learning from them and I don't want to take that away. So they're part of that process of making the decisions of like, oh, this didn't work out. And I think like you also talked about the strategy of the whiteboard and sometimes we forget, right? We forget about that whiteboard. You could just have students check off where they are or just like say like, hey, I need a conference um, whenever you get a chance. And so they're not approaching you. They're not raising their hand, but you already have a list and you see that list and you can just go down that list. Um, and so that was, I mean, 
I do want to say, and I always tell my mentees this, is that like when you first start out with a model, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work um, because you do really need to backwards plan um, and you need to be able to um, have some lessons already prepared so that students can continue to move forward. Um, but I, we were hoping that that doesn't, you know, that doesn't scare you away. <laughs> yes, don't be scared. And I think also you can manage, like for me, I have a colleague, shout out to Lindsay, who posts, she teaches Latin and she posts all of her unit content at one time, the very beginning of the unit. And her students can truly move through the unit at their own pace, their whole unit, which is like 12 lessons or whatever. I felt very nervous about that sometimes because I hadn't created the content yet, but sometimes because I didn't want to not be able to give feedback to everyone in that week. And so I would only drop three lessons a week at a time, you know, that was it. And so if students met that expectation for the week and finished all three of those must do lessons, they knew that they then had to do should do's and aspire to do's. It wasn't optional. Like that was your next step. If you finished your, and then, you know, if you finish your must do's then you do these set should do's and aspire to do's. And some of those aspire to do's were like really just ongoing work for them as independent reading and writing. So like they might be doing some creative writing in their aspire to do time work time. Or they might be doing some IXL skill work that I've assigned them to do. So like there are different ways you can manage that. I felt very liberated when I figured out, oh, I don't have to create like incredibly complicated should do and aspire to do assignments. I can just leverage the tools I already have, you know, that are supporting the work my students are doing in the must do lessons. So that would that would be another piece of advice I would I would say, like, use your tools for you. <laughs> Definitely use those tools. And also, if you see a colleague having all of their units ready, that's okay. Like, kudos to them. <laughs> yeah, Lindsay. Um, yeah, totally. Because <laughs> I know I only release like one lesson a week. I'm the one too who I, I don't have all of my resources ready already because I always um, connect it with what's happening in the real world. So that was something to keep my students engaged and also just like giving them the news or whatever else is happening, current event news. So I kind of implement that into my lessons as well. And that's why I wait until like that time to create those resources. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Yeah. I mean, again, like planning wise, like I feel like as long as you know exactly what skills you're covering, um, the whole backwards planning, looking at your calendar, seeing how many days, how many lessons you'll have, um, that'll be really helpful for you. So you don't necessarily have to have all 16 or 20 of your videos done already. There's no need for that. You can just do one lesson a week, three lessons or have all of it, um, which is really great. I think that's all the time that we have. Emily, I appreciate you for jumping on this call with me because this is my first time ever doing this by myself. <laughs> so I was really, really you did it. <laughs> I know. Um, so again, thank you for sharing your ideas. We will have everything in our show notes that Emily and I talked about. Um, but again, we appreciate everything that you do. Thank you so much uh, for being part of our family. Thank you so much. And I am grateful for you. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. You can find links to topics and tools we discussed in our show notes for this episode. And remember, you can learn more about our work at www.modernclassrooms.org. And you can learn the essentials of our model through our free course at learn.modernclassrooms.org. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Modern Class Proj, that's P-R-O-J. 
We are so appreciative of all you do for students in schools. Have a great week, and we'll be back next Sunday with another episode of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Thank you.